0: Join us on the road to our 10,000th download and the launch of our new TV channel with the limited edition Mistaken Identity Podcast shirt made by Obvious Shirts, of course. Click the link in our show notes to purchase before they're all gone. Make sure to tag us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter while wearing your shirt for a chance to win additional merchandise. pitch. fanatics friday on the mistaken identity podcast brought to you by fanatics the world's largest collection of officially licensed fan gear from all the leagues teams and players you love head on over to the show notes to gain access to the worldwide leader in licensed sports merchandise from all of your favorite teams and be on the lookout for your chance to win some free items now here are your hosts frank and david
1: All right, so uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, let me tell you a little bit about our guest today. Uh, if you have been with us uh, all month so far, you know we've had uh, Bill Matlock, we've had uh, Andre Dawson, and we talked with them a lot about uh, the, um, somewhat the lack of uh, African-Americans uh, in baseball. Uh, you know, Bill Madlock had some very um, interesting uh, comments to make about why that is. Um, so we're telling a story. Uh, and so this, today's guest helps us fit in perfectly with what we've already discussed, uh, with those Cubs legends. And, uh, we're excited to have, uh, someone here with us, uh, to talk about, uh, growing up being drafted being African-American and, uh, all that kind of good stuff. So I'm going to go ahead and, um, uh, uh say some of his stats. Uh, there's a ton of stuff on MLB.com about him. Uh, Susie, you want to go ahead and uh, turn his video on and spotlight him while I read uh, all these things that are on MLB about uh, Josh Stowers, our guest today, Josh Stowers from the New York Yankees organization. He is a outfielder. He was uh, a second-round pick by Seattle uh, $1.1 $1. $1 million uh, signing. He was traded to the Yankees in that sunny gray situation uh, in 2019. Uh, in his first full pro season, he batted uh, 273 with uh, 35 steals. Uh, and we know that uh, COVID came and therefore uh, COVID. Uh, canceled out the 2020 season. So uh, we're gonna hopefully pick up uh, with that today. Uh, So he played college ball at the University of uh, Louisville. He played high school at the legendary uh, Mount Carmel, uh, which many of you probably uh, are familiar with Uh, and let me see. Josh, welcome, Josh. Hey, how you doing? That was a lot of stuff that I didn't even know uh, until I went to uh, MLB.com, uh, and uh, it was great. Uh, by the way, for those that don't know, uh, me and Josh do have you know one other thing in common, uh, and that is uh, we go to the same church. Uh, we go to Mars Hill. We're the only people at that church allowed to miss a Sunday for baseball, so uh, we are in uh, good company because we can miss it from baseball and not get in trouble. Right, Josh?
2: <laughs> that's, the only, that's the only excuse I have for missing church, honestly.
1: Yes, yes. All right. So uh, tell me um, where you're at now. How are you doing?
2: Uh, right now, I'm in Tampa, Florida, uh, just training and uh, preparing for the upcoming season. Uh, been down here for about a month and a half now, just working out, uh, you know, doing the hitting, throwing, uh, staying in shape, just kind of waiting to see what's going to happen with the minor league season. You know, it's still kind of up in the air. We don't really know too much information, but I'm just doing my best to uh, stay ready and stay prepared no matter what.
1: All right. So, of course, again, like I said we have some Cubs staff here, but we also have some people from your church. Do you want to give a quick shout-out to your church members who are here real quick? Uh,
2: Yeah, I just want to give a quick shout-out to, uh, you know, the Marsh Hill crew. Uh, you know, they've been supporting me since I've been a little baby. Uh, You know, just – Pretty much every time I'm there, you know, everybody's saying they've been praying for me. And obviously, you know, the prayers have been uh, playing off, paying off so far. So, um, you know, I just want to ask everybody to keep praying for me, you know, keep sending blessings my way. And uh, I'm definitely going to give back, you know, when I get back up to uh, to the show. And uh, I appreciate everything. And I love my uh, Marcel family.
1: All right. So uh, I just wouldn't be me um, if I didn't have some type of – uh, surprises, or uh, you know, something that you know sort of is uh, shocking to uh, my guest. And uh, I have a uh, surprise for you. I'm not sure if you can see <laughs> it on the screen there, but uh, there's a 2020 uh, free agent signing who had just uh, uh, joined us. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, here is uh, AJ Lewis. He was just signed in 2020 by the Colorado uh, Rockies and is a good friend of Josh. Uh, he didn't, Josh didn't have any idea that you Uh, would be here, but, uh, uh, why have one pro when you can have two. So, uh, AJ, thanks for joining us.
3: Thank you for having me, man. Appreciate you.
1: Uh, and just like I asked Josh, uh, so what's going on with you, the Rockies, give us an update.
3: Um, actually here in Chicago right now, uh, we, got all that snow so i just honestly booked the flight i was texting josh right before this i'm about to head down with him and start training with him for a little bit so we can get in some good get in some good weather um just taking it day by day trying to just let see what happens and wait for them to let us know when to go
1: all right so i pulled up some stuff about youtube so uh, you know let, let me let me go ahead and read here from the media uh, about uh, aj lewis i got plenty of stuff from the yankees about Uh, Josh, that I will dive into, but let me just read you what I got here uh, about A.J. Lewis uh, signing with uh, the Rockies. It says, transferring to Arkansas as a graduate student in late spring, A.J. Lewis was ready to play for the Razorbacks, but like so many things in 2020, he had to adjust on the fly when a new opportunity came up. This was something he could not pass up. A Beverly native and Mount Carmel High School graduate, Lewis signed a free agent contract on July 27th with the Colorado Rockies. The original plan was to play his senior season and hopefully hear his name called in the Major League Baseball draft in June. But due to the pandemic, the MLB shortened this draft from 40 rounds to just five rounds. So uh, AJ, tell us uh, honestly in your head, when the pandemic came, you know, you had wanted to be uh, in the draft. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what crossed your mind when you uh, were about the sign and then we're going to go ahead and uh, uh, nag on Josh for a little bit. <laughs> uh,
3: no, it was, uh, it was a little different situation. Uh, I was hoping that I would hear my name called. It's like something that everybody wants. And uh, once I saw that the draft was pushed down to five rounds, I just knew it would be a lot tougher. I was ready to go back and play again, play my senior year and hopefully hear my name called this upcoming year and ended up getting an opportunity to sign. And honestly, I talked to Josh a lot about it. He honestly helped me with this decision. And uh, it was just one that it was just like, you know, it's time to go. It's going back to college for another year. I don't know if how much that would do for me. Um, I got the opportunity. It was a good organization. It looked good for me. So I went ahead and made the decision and it's been a, so far, I haven't regretted it at all so All
1: right, so what was it like uh playing with uh josh uh keep in mind his uh parents are watching so you may want <laughs> to uh uh you know think before you speak but what what was it like uh playing with uh,
3: josh uh so Josh and I played together his last two years last no yeah two years of high school and um it was a little different like josh he he's P, if you don't really know him, you know he kind of he, he's to himself and he, he's doing what he has to do. But like, luckily, he was able to like we opened up to each other. We were really like close friends, and watching him play was just something that was like kind of unnormal like, He just did certain things, you like that's not supposed to happen. Like you know, that's just not how normal people like react to things. So he, now he was a outstanding athlete, but even more, he was like that guy that I kind of lashed to because you know, he was older than me, and he was able to, like, I was able to talk to him, and if I had questions or, you know, was feeling a certain type of way about something, he was, like, a great role model in that respect, and, you know, typically, you don't get that out of people who are, like, exceptional athletes, because they can't, they can't, like, explain what they do in a way, but for Josh, it's a little different. He's a little more humble, and, you know, he understands that, like, he's very talented, but, like, you know, if he can help out somewhere, he definitely will, so it was kind of, like, common having somebody like that, like, this guy that can do all these crazy things but still be, like, you know, humble enough and have enough humility to, you know, help out where he still can. So it was, it was really cool playing with Josh.
1: All right. Uh, so, Josh, tell us about playing with AJ.
2: Uh, playing with AJ, you know, I actually – I see myself in him. And just with – it's crazy that even though he's a year younger, we kind of have the same story. Um, just, you know, growing up in high school, um, both of us kind of got, you know, overlooked. You know, we just had the more of uh, the athlete raw, um, you know, attributes attached to us. Nobody really gave us, you know, the credit that we thought we felt that we deserved. And I just knew that with the way I saw his, like, career going, it was easy, you know, wow, like, why am I not getting these chances? Why am I not getting this? It's easy to say, well, it's me. But I just feel like when I'm playing with AJ and I see, like, so many similarities that it's easy to take somebody like that who easily, like, who wants to work, and somebody who can listen to it that's not stubborn and, you know, wants to make those changes and wants to be a better player. So when you have somebody like that, um, not only as your teammate, but somebody that's like, you know, a second brother, um, having somebody like that, you know, that you can talk to. Cause even when I struggle, you know, I turn to him. So um, having somebody like that's awesome. And, you know, we still talk pretty much every day. Like he said, he's coming down, you know, this weekend uh, to, you know, get some of this warm weather and sunshine. So, I'm excited to see him again, and it'll be a good time.
1: All right, uh, thank you very much, uh, AJ. I know you uh, are on a schedule, uh, so thank you for stopping by here. Um, all right, Josh, talk about uh, one thing that Bill Matlock talked about with the students on our first session was how most, um, you know, black kids are gearing towards football mm-hmm. and uh, basketball and not necessarily um, baseball. So. Tell us a little bit about why you love baseball. Um, I just love baseball because you can just never –
2: there's never any, like, type of quitting. You know, basketball, you dribble out the clock, shot clock goes away, you got the 22 seconds versus 24, game's over. Baseball, you really don't know what can happen. You know, say baseball on paper, this team looks phenomenal. But then you come in, and the team that doesn't look that great ends up winning, you know, a four-game series. So I just love that aspect of you never know what's going to happen, and it doesn't matter what's really on paper because you're hitting a round ball with a round bat, which is one of the hardest things to do in sports. So it really doesn't matter if, you know, you're the most athletic person on the field. If, you know, you're not putting together, you know, the work when it comes with the small skill set, then it really makes the biggest difference.
1: All right. So we have a lot of uh, little kids on here who are probably uh, Little League age. Uh, Did you play Little League? Where at? Uh, Tell us about the Little League situation. Um,
2: So I grew up in a town called Westchester. It's about 15 minutes um, outside of the city of Chicago, uh, surrounded by Bellwood, Maywood, um, LaGrange, that area. So um, I've started playing there, I want to say, when I was around five. And ironically enough, my first team was the Yankees um, for T-ball um so I played with them uh grew up did that whole thing um really didn't have any lessons honestly my dad just told me go out there and hit the ball as far as I could and that's what I did and it um translated from there and um you know started to catch the eye of um you know some um local travel teams word got around that there's this kid tearing up little league but wasn't really playing with any travel teams it's just playing little league baseball then moving on to football and you know going about his life so um from little league baseball, I went and played with a team called the Lamont Indians, uh, starting when I was 11. And that was a, that was honestly an interesting transition because I was the only black kid um, on an all white team, especially in an extremely like all white neighborhood way out there in Lamont. So um, that was really my first taste of you know, wow, like not too many black people play baseball.
1: All right, so uh, and we have the same question to Andre Dawson, and uh, we have the same question to you. Um, uh, did you experience any, uh, racism or backlash, uh, being in a all white environment, uh, with school grown up?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, not from the, obviously not from my teammates because I mean, being at such a young age, we weren't really, um, you know, that wasn't really on our minds, but as I got older and started to look back on, you know, some of the things that I heard and things that were said to me, I was like, wow, you know, that was know, passive aggressive, but, you know, it's kind of a racist statement that some people were saying to me. And then, you know, when we would go down and play in Mississippi and, you know, these deep South uh, type states and playing these tournaments. And uh, as I got older, I ended up playing for a team called gravel baseball and that team was all black. And so, you know, you have an all black team from Chicago coming down to Mississippi and Louisiana and beating these teams. And obviously like, you know, the parents aren't too happy about this. So there's a lot of things, a lot of comments that we heard and whatnot, but at the end of the day, you know, we were out there just having fun and we really didn't even think too much about it. And it wasn't, wasn't really something that was, you know, hanging over our heads because I think we were just so young and we were just mainly focused on having fun because there was, no, there was no college, there was no pro ball. It was just, you know, you're out there with your best friends having a good time.
1: Yeah, it's always been shocking to me to think, you know, that people would be so hurtful towards little kids who are just playing um, uh, baseball. But uh, we've definitely come a long way. Uh, so, from there, let's talk about the legendary Mount Carmel High School. Uh, tell us about that uh mount carmel that was a, that was a good experience uh It's definitely a you know
2: a learning a learning adjustment for me um, you know going in um, I wasn't even supposed to go to Mount Carmel so you know when i when I first ended up, there it was uh, kind of a culture shock you know all boys all boys high school. Uh, you know, Catholic school, private, uniform, all that stuff, just a bunch of stuff I'm not used to. So uh, getting used to that was like an experience in itself. But the baseball team uh, accepted me, you know, from day one, um, started off freshman year, played on the sophomore team, didn't get to play varsity. So, you know, that was something I had to work towards. So I just always felt that my entire career, I've just been working towards something. Nothing's really been handed to me. I've always felt that I've had to work, and anything that's come my way, like, I felt I felt that I've earned it. So I felt that, you know, going to Mount Karma was a good step for me because it, it allowed me to, you know, figure out what hard work truly was.
1: Uh, as I was doing my research on this, uh, there was a USA Today article, actually, that came out um, last year with uh, AJ in it as well, talking about uh, the lack of Black players in MLB, but uh, how this new crop is uh, showing promise, and it brought up, how um, MLB actually uh, had his eyes on Mount Carmel. So it was a pretty good um, article to read. So I have got a question that I've been dying to know. Now uh, you brought up your father, who is um, a, a preacher, pastor of a church. Yes. Uh, your grandfather is a pastor and a preacher of a church. I believe that your aunt as well. So for me, the 1000 thousand dollar question is: uh, What? Like, is, is is there any uh, baseball slash preaching? Uh, in the future, or, or, or is that not your calling?
2: <laughs> Honestly, I'm not. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, my dad played baseball in college, and you know, he did grad school and everything, and then he got the calling later. So, um, who knows? I mean, you know, for right now, I'm I'm more focused on having you know like a 10 year career. I mean, that's that's what's in the plans for me, and then we'll see after that. But as for right now, I'm uh, I'm focused on having a, a long career in the MLB.
1: All right. So we talked about Mount Carmel. Talked about. Let's go to college ball. Uh, University of uh, Louisville. Um, I am very familiar with Louisville, mainly because of you. Um, I, you know, followed them when you were playing, and now it's in my uh, newsfeed all the time. So uh, tell me a little bit about um, playing with Louisville. Um, Louisville. I mean, you go in there, it's it's not sweet.
2: I mean, um, as soon as you get there, uh, they make it known that nothing's going to be handed to you. And that was something that I was looking for. Um, our coach, you know, he came from a military school, so, you know, he's very hard on the freshman. And um, I figured that was something that I needed because, you know, everybody comes out of high school and they think they're the man. And then you go to college and now you're playing with an entire roster of every high school's best player. So as, we, as I got there, you know, I quickly started to realize that, I immediately needed to get better and, you know, as I'm working towards everything at Louisville, you know, it comes out, it all comes full circle. Like I said, back at Mount Carmel, um, you know, I just had to work hard and everything's just being handed to me. And at this point, um, you know, being at Louisville was probably probably the best experience for me baseball wise because I didn't play at all freshman year. Um, I had, <laughs> Might have had 25 ABs maybe out of a 56 game plus postseason season. So I I barely saw the field, but that was something I wasn't used to. So I had to take it as a learning experience and, you know, watch guys like Corey Ray, um, Nick Solak, uh, you know, the Birdie brothers guys who are in MLB and Will Smith, like all these guys are playing in MLB and being successful. I got to watch them and learn what they were doing and seeing what they were doing. And then, you know, as an 18 year old, you know, you're not, you're like, oh, I want to be on the field, this, this, and that. But the older I got, I realized that me sitting out was just as beneficial as me being in the lineup.
1: All right. So it looks like we have your father on the screen <laughs> here, uh, side by side with you. Um, I have no idea that he even played baseball. So this is news to me. <laughs> but um, uh, Pastor Storrs, anything you want to say about uh, young Josh growing up and his love for baseball?
4: Oh, it's been a journey. Uh, just watching the whole experience has probably been one of the uh, most fortunate times in our, our existence. And it's been fun to see the, the growth. That's that's what's amazing, just to see him grow from a, a little kid who will pull on my my coattails to play catch with him to now seeing him with a beard. I don't know if the Yankees are going to let you keep that during spring training, but... Uh... <laughs> It's been a great ride. Uh, it went so fast, but just to uh, watch those experiences from going to Cooperstown to uh, the 2013 uh, state championship at Mount Carmel, that was fun, to watching uh, all the games at Louisville and the College World Series. It just went by so fast, and then draft night, and just to see. Uh, what happened of course as parents you know what your kids can do but it's exciting when the world can see exactly what they can do as well
1: um all right so we're uh i want to go over to um uh the draft because the draft is um something that most of us will never get to um experience so i kind of want to talk about draft night uh we see it on espn with the families uh, and i see uh, we have found uh, your mother here um, <laughs> as well she's on the screen uh, uh first lady Shantae stores but if i can uh, talk to you all of the family just about a draft night because we have never experienced it so um what was it like i mean do i mean are you sitting by the TV are you like what oh, goes man. on uh and you all are all unmuted together so the family what, what goes on what happened on draft night
4: Oh man, it was uh it was it was actually phenomenal. We were we were in Lubbock, Texas, uh playing in I believe it was the super regional. It
2: was the uh, regional final
4: yes yeah, the regional final game in Lubbock, Texas at Texas Tech. And for those who've never been to Texas Tech, it is probably one of the most difficult environments to play in because I mean, their fans, the Red Raiders, are, are phenomenal, and they will get under your skin. So it was a hot night in Lubbock, Texas, the day before the draft. I'll never forget this. And as we were there, um, I've seen the kid play from the ACC tournament to the College World Series, just literally take over a game, um, uh, in fielding and with the bat, but. There was a ball. It was hit in the gaps, and I saw him take out after it, and he didn't get to it, and he went down. I mean, this is the day before the draft, and I'm sitting there like, oh my god, oh my god. You see your life flash <laughs> before you, <laughs> and um, this is what, this is why I love Texas Tech. Even though they get up under your skin, and you're talking about a stadium about ten thousand people, hostile. I mean, they're Red Raider fans, but the entire stadium went 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 quiet, and they held up their Red Raider sign while he was still laying on the field, and my wife's calling me, his agent is calling me, and I'm sitting there like, oh my God, boy, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up, and uh, he finally gets up, and uh, everything works out well, and we end up losing that game, and Texas Tech goes on to the College World Series, and this is 2018, And um, after that, um, booked a flight from Dallas, Texas to Louisville because we knew the draft was going to be the next day. And we kind of knew where he was going to go uh, in the draft. So we ended up, uh, my wife drives, my daughter drives to Louisville from Chicago and we fly there and we meet there and go to our cousin's house. And they lay out this big spread and we're sitting there and eating great food, by the way and um josh is talking to his agent on one end i'm talking to another agent on on the end and where he went in the draft and the team we had no idea we kind of had an idea of what three the top three teams were but to see the name flash across the screen and to hear your kid's name on that day uh yeah there were a few tears that was shared and a lot of excitement, a lot of phone calls, text messages, all of the above, but it's an experience you'll never forget. Never.
1: Are You you want to jump in there, uh, mom?
5: (laughs) It's very exciting. Um, Like he said, uh, his sister and I, we jumped in the car and uh, we drove from Chicago um, to Louisville and we were just all, uh, surrounded with family around the TV and just waiting and anticipating, and um, and then when he got the phone call, he kind of went off to the corner, you know, by himself. And then he said, "We'll give you another phone call." And so when the final phone call came and we saw him smiling, and I still have it recorded on my phone, and it was um, it was just wonderful. It was a wonderful feeling. It was a feeling of emotions and tears of happiness and joy because he's worked so hard. Like he said, nothing has ever been given to him. He's been looked over um, on a lot of situations where he deserves. So this was a great, a great day, and I'm looking forward to the next step for the MLB, <laughs> for him to make it all the way up to the top.
1: All right, uh, thank you very much, uh, both of you. Uh, so, so, Josh, tell us about draft night from your perspective, the actual person. Tell us.
2: Um, so draft night is definitely probably one of the best days of my life Um, just to see you know it's pretty much 21 years of uh, you know dedication finally paying off and um, like my dad said you know from my perspective when it happened um, me getting injured you know cutting off a ball that I've, I've cut off a million times in my career so when I know I didn't get to it I knew something was wrong and I immediately felt like a sharp pain in my hamstring And as I'm laying on the ground, the only thing I can think about is the drafts tomorrow, the drafts tomorrow, drafts tomorrow, drafts tomorrow. And I was like, wow, like, I've worked so hard, like, this entire time, like, done everything right, you know, like, haven't gotten any trouble, you know, no mistakes, nothing, like, no, like, chased after no temptations, anything like that. And for an injury to kind of, you know, like, wipe all of that out, you know, that would suck. But you know, as everything, like my dad said, you know, everything turned out to be okay. My agent said everything's going to be okay. Like, that's not a determining factor for everything. So, they calmed me down. Um, next day, we got back to uh, Louisville. Um, you know, went over to my cousin's house. Um, they cooked us, you know, steak, potatoes, you know, pretty much five star meal. Uh, couldn't ask for anything more. Um, when I was talking to my agent at the time, uh, he just gave me give me ballpark uh, of an area around the, the time I would go in, which would be around the 60th or 61st pick. Um, I was actually I thought I was going to go and be drafted by the Twins, and uh, really hadn't talked to the Mariners or anything like that. And so when my agent told me, uh, "Hey, would you, you know? Would you sign for 1.1 million dollars with the Seattle Mariners?" I was like, uh, "Yeah, what kind of question is that?" Obviously, I would. So I mean, right. <laughs> as, soon as I got that phone call, uh, you know biggest smile I've probably had in my life you know on my face uh, you know gave my parents a hug you know some tears were shed obviously of course because it's just a great once-in-a-lifetime moment up it besides you know like me making the MLB and uh, I was just happy that it was, I was able to be surrounded by you know my family and then obviously of course after that I went to go celebrate with my teammates.
0: Hey guys welcome back to Headlines and Hot Takes brought to you by Lids.com Well, let's get the wrap-up of the Bears' disappointing but uh, predictable season opener out of the way as soon as possible. David Montgomery seemed to be the lone bright spot, picking up 108 yards on the ground and a touchdown, but it was nowhere near enough as the Rams throttled the Bears 34-14. They were outclassed in just about every other phase of the game, and even though Matt Nagy used Justin Fields as an exciting chess piece for a few snaps and even paved the way for his first career rushing touchdown in the third quarter, You better believe he's already squarely on the hot seat heading into next week's meeting against the Bengals, or at least he is if you ask the Chicago media. Matt Stafford already seems to be loving life in Los Angeles now that he's away from Detroit and the Bears are probably thanking their lucky stars that he is. Andy Dalton's performance was mediocre as well, as was the pass rush employed by the defense so there is absolutely no guarantee that they can both get up to speed in time for a Bengals team that already took out the Vikings in overtime in week one. We'll probably be watching two primary storylines run in parallel that will ultimately end up being a little more important than the win-loss record in the regular season. Number one being, when will Justin Fields be named the full-time starter? And number two, when will Matt Nagy be fired? Obviously, these storylines will go hand in hand, but more underwhelming displays like we saw in week one will likely speed up both timelines by quite a bit. Alright, let's shift gears a little bit and shine a spotlight on our podcast guest, Josh Stowers, as a segue into what to look forward to down on the farm for both the Cubs and the MLB at large. Since this podcast was recorded, Josh was included in yet another trade to the Texas Rangers in a deal that sent Rudin Odor to the Bronx, but regardless of where Josh has played in his minor league career so far, he's continually posted above average production at the plate and has only committed a pair of errors in right field in nearly 500 innings of play. His batting average in AAA this year might not jump off the page, but his raw power, speed, and above-average eye at the plate give him a pretty rare skill set that makes him an outside contender for the 30 home run, 30 stolen base club in the MLB if he ends up getting consistent enough at bats. He's currently playing at the AA level for the Rangers, and stands to shoot up their internal rankings so long as his home run and stolen base numbers continue to rise, which they have been each and every season. As with the Rangers, the Cubs have transitioned to a team that has one eye squarely fixed on the future, and as a season that saw a flurry of activity at the trade deadline winds down, I figured an update on the farm might inject some cheer into an otherwise dreary fall for us Cubs fans. Much like the first rebuilding process, there seems to be a lot of surplus talent in the outfield after the dust has settled from this year's fire sale. Two of the top three and four of the top ten prospects in the Cubs systems are outfielders, and if the Cubs learn from their mistakes the first time around, they'd be wise to hang on to each and every one of them long enough to see what they can deliver at the Major League level. The top prospect is actually an internal candidate. Brendan Davis has morphed from a toolsy mid-round pick in 2018 into a borderline top ten prospect in the entire league in a very short period of time. His crowning achievement this season is homering twice in the MLB Futures game en route to MVP honors in that game during All-Star Weekend, and a nice trophy presented by Ken Griffey Jr. He's moved from high A ball all the way up to triple A this season and has taken each promotion in stride. He's hit 17 home runs in total in just over 80 games at all three levels, and he seems to be getting the bulk of his playing time in right field. This move over from center makes sense because even though he has the speed to man center field, his power at the plate and his arm strength make more sense in the corner. His ETA is likely early on in the season in 2023, which happens to be Jason Hayward's final year under contract in Chicago. I fully expect his call-up to come in April or May of 2023, and for him to platoon with Hayward early on while he learns some tricks of the trade from one of the Cubs' last remaining veterans. The second-ranked prospect in the Cubs system came over as part of the Anthony Rizzo trade to the Yankees. Kevin Alcantara is a massive switch-hitting outfielder who will also likely find his way to a corner outfield spot, even though he also has the speed to man-center. He has a longer climb to make than Davis, but he has just as high of a ceiling, if you ask me. He hits for slightly less power than Brennan at the moment, but at 6'6", it's really only a matter of time before the raw skill translates onto the diamond. One note that should bring a smile to everyone's face is that even as a 19-year-old, he's posting an on-base percentage well north of 400 in the developmental league. Even against older competition, he's been posting a higher walk rate every year since 2019. Paired with the likes of Nico Horner and Nick Madrigal, Alcantara's presence shows the clear emphasis on working walks, making contact, and setting the table for the middle of the order, which is a welcome change in my book. And finally, with all due respect to the Cubs' number three prospect, Reginald Preciado, who came over in the UDarvish trade, I want to touch on Christian Hernandez before we wrap up here, because if you're under the age of 20 and are already getting comparisons to Alex Rodriguez, then you have my full attention. Hernandez was signed as an international free agent and the Cubs are said to have liked his upside even more than both Eloy Jimenez and Gleyber Torres. He's still only 17 years of age and while he's a lanky 6'2 already, he has more than enough agility and intangible fielding skills to stick at his primary position as shortstop. We probably won't get a real look at Hernandez at the higher levels of the minors for a few years, so we'll have to lean on the sparse statistics and basically the mythology that already follows him around because there is already plenty. Much like a young A-Rod, speed and a mature eye at the plate will likely carry Hernandez in the early years while he fills out his frame, but even though Davis and Alcantara have huge upside in their own rights, Hernandez could turn into a franchise-altering talent much like we've seen from another young superstar who burst onto the scene at a young age in Fernando Tatis Jr. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, as some prospects Are bound to fizzle out over the years. And one clear flaw on the farm as a whole is the lack of top tier pitching on this prospect list, which will have to be addressed in mass in the coming years. But if the Cubs can manage to develop these three guys in particular and pair them with Horner, Madrigal, and Contreras, we could be in for a very different looking dynamic offense that stands to be much more consistent than what we've seen in the years past. And hopefully, this glimmer of hope can hold you over the rest of September as the Cubs play out the rest of their season. That'll do it for this week's edition of headlines and hot takes brought to you by lids.com, the number one destination for hats gear and everything that moves you enjoy the rest of the episode and I'll catch you next time.
1: So now again, yes, anybody offers me $1.1 million. I'm going to say yes to, um, so you were drafted and then traded to the Yankees, Uh, in the um, sunny gray uh, deal. So tell me your thoughts and feelings when you found out about that. Um, That
2: day was a weird day.
1: Um, So
2: I was in Louisville finishing school and um, got a call at like eight o'clock in the morning, uh, woke me up out of my sleep saying, hey, you have a drug test. Are you in Chicago? I said, "Uh, no, I'm in Louisville. So they say, well, the closest drug test facility Louisville is in Bowling Green Kentucky which is two hours away and I don't know if anybody knows this but if you don't get to a drug test um, the same day you fail and you have to sit out the entire year so I have to drive two hours to Bowling Green Kentucky just to go pee in a cup and as soon as I'm done doing that immediate phone call hey you just got traded to the Yankees thank you for everything and good luck and I'm just sitting there like wait what like I just drove two hours to pee a cup. Now I got traded. And then it started clicking. This is why I had to do this drug test because they wanted to make sure everything was okay. And, uh, you know, it was a, it was a weird feeling because I had just gotten drafted. I'd only been with Seattle for six months and then, you know, I'm already getting shipped off to a new organization, but I mean, it just goes to show, you know, our, uh, our coach at Louisville, Dan McDonald, he always said, you're not playing for one team. You're playing for all 30. And so it doesn't matter, you know, if you get drafted in June, you only play the three months of your short season, um, you know, all 30 teams are still, you know, looking for, you know, the next prospect, you know, to make an impact on their team. And so apparently the Yankees had already had an eye on me um, in the draft, but obviously, like I said, I went earlier um, than I expected to go. And so they didn't get a chance to pick me. And then when the opportunity came, they were able to make a trade and bring me over to their organization.
1: Uh, yes, I got some uh, quotes from the Yankees here. I want to read later on, but they, uh, they definitely get who they want uh, eventually. So I got to bring up the Cubs. Of course, we're all, on most of us on the chat, think the Cubs are the greatest thing ever. So maybe one person believes that the White Sox are on this, on this call. But um, tell us about your love for the Cubs and favorite players and all things Cubs. I mean, growing up, you know, man, the Cubs, they weren't that good when I was
2: growing up. But, you know, it was always the best atmosphere, you know, the best place to go catch a game. And, you know, especially during the days, you know, or, middle school, elementary school, my dad would say, you want to go watch a game? I was like, yeah, of course, that's the day I get to miss school and to go watch my favorite sport. And so, you know, I always got to uh, go to Cubs games during the day and, you know, we always had good seats and I always loved, you know, watching Zambrano pitch, watching Derek Lee, watching Soriano, Aramis Ramirez, like all those, you know, mid-2000s guys that were on the team uh, back when I was growing up. So, uh, you know, going to Cubs games was always, you know, one of the things that I looked forward to whenever we could go. And um, yeah, I would say I was definitely a Cubs fan growing up.
1: Uh, Now, you have actually been uh, with uh, one of our Cubs, uh, my favorite, Jason Hayward, Mm -hmm. uh, and the Players Alliance when they were out uh, recently in the community. Tell us a little bit about that experience and what you all did.
2: Um, So, with the Players Alliance, uh, we had a function called Pull Up, and at the event, it was on the west side of Chicago. more so around like the little bit, little village area. Um, So we uh, handed out boxes of food and then we handed out some, um, you know, medical, you know, like COVID-19 type of equipment, uh, masks, uh, sanitizer, all that stuff. And then we handed out, um, like I said, the boxes of food um, to the uh, members of the community, uh, did everything safe uh, with uh, COVID restrictions and everything. So we kind of had like a a drive through all the players would stand in a line and then the cars would come through. We would greet the, uh, we would greet the families and hand them their boxes. And then as they uh, took off, we would hand them uh, some Cubs hats and uh, baseballs and some gear.
1: Uh, All right. It looks like there's another surprise for you uh, here on the screen. Do you uh, recognize? (laughs) Uh, uh, Yeah. yeah. Never agree to do anything with me because I'm full of surprises. So that's good. But uh, (laughs) um. Do you recognize – who is this guy, Josh? So, who is this uh, This is pretty much my brother from another mother,
2: uh, Chris. Uh, Chris Bosway, uh, known him since I was 11 years old. Uh, played against each other before that, but, you know, as soon as we got on the same team, it was instant connection, and we've been brothers ever since. Oh, yeah. Yes, and
1: now, yeah, so now coaching baseball at uh, Eastern Kentucky uh, University. Uh, Chris, tell us a little bit about playing with Josh.
6: Oh, well, yeah, like Josh said, I've played with him since we were 11. And it's been awesome. We played a little bit together in our freshman years at Louisville. But playing with Josh, I can just say he's one of the most clutch players that I've seen. One of my uh, favorite memories of him was actually when I went down to a game my sophomore year. They were playing Florida State and before the game, it was like the end of the year, and I told him before the game that uh, I hope he hits a home run. And I think he came up in like the – seventh through eighth inning I think they're done by one or two and he hit a bomb to to tie the game and I was just looking around at everyone telling them I I knew he was going to do it I knew he's going to do it because he's been doing that since since I've started playing with him so Josh has always been clutch he's always he's been an ultimate competitor and always wanted to win he also won the Michael Jordan award when we were together his freshman year at Louisville which just shows he's the best one of the best players I've played with so he's also just one of the best competitors and winners so that's me playing with Josh.
1: All right. Uh thank you. Thank you. What'd you say, Josh? <laughs> I think I made me cry. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh so I'm gonna take I'm gonna go to the uh screen for questions. I see if people with their hands up who wanna ask live questions. That's good. Before I do that, let me just read uh this uh, uh statement here. Uh when I asked about Josh Story that we found uh, about Boston royal Yankees trade. By the way, the New York media uh seems to be uh, very much in love uh, with you. Um, when you, uh, when you uh, YouTube your name, uh, the first thing that comes up is the, uh, the Yankees actual page and the little thing they did about you. So that's pretty cool to see that the Yankees have that right up there for anybody that uh, YouTubes you to see that uh, you belong to them. Um, all right, so let me just read this and then we're going to go to questions. Uh, if you know me, you know I love players with speed. Meet Josh Stores. I like to call him Brett Gardner Light. Part of the Sunny Gray trade, the Yankees got Shed Long for Gray from the Reds and then flipped to the Mariners for Stores. The six foot one right-handed hitting Stores played collegially at Louisville, where he hit four oh seven in the NCAA tournament as a sophomore before boosting his draft stock in the Cape league in 2017. In 2018, as a junior for the Cardinals, he hit three thirty six with an OPS of 1.036 and 36 steals while earning All-America honors. He was also named to the All-ACC academic team in 2017 and 2018. A 2023 big league debut from stores is realistic and I expect for fans to love him for all his hustle and all around game. I was expecting a 2020 debut before COVID wiped out the 2020 MILB season. Uh, So yeah, so that is uh, some word that we got when we asked uh, for some statements about you. So it looks like, um, you know, New York is very, very happy to have you. Uh all right. Let me go to some questions real quick. All right. Uh Phil, let's go ahead with your question. Okay. I'm actually asking this for my six year old granddaughter. She's a first grader and she'd like to know what's your favorite video game. My favorite video <laughs>
2: game? Um right now I've been I've been playing a lot of FIFA. Um I'm a real I'm a real big soccer fan. Um and actually like one of the one of my biggest bucket list thing is is to go and see um uh, the, the world cup. And that's just something I've been dying to see. Um, the soccer, the soccer community is global and, you know, there's billions of people that watch it and love it. And that's just something that I think would just be an amazing sporting event to go to. And outside of FIFA, uh, I love playing Warzone. zone. Uh, I was in, I played a lot of Fortnite. you know, when, in college when it first was a big thing when it first came out, but you know, all the kids there, they're just so much better than me. I don't even try to play against them anymore. Thank you. You're welcome. All right,
1: uh, who do we got next? All right, Tim Morris. Hey, nephew, what's up, man?
0: (laughs) Good. Um, Most of you may not know, I was uh, the first scout. I I said uh, when he played Little League, he was going to make it. And I just thank God I'm able to see it. But I'm so proud of you. And I just want to have like two questions for you.
1: First question is, uh, as you mentioned earlier, you went to Mount Carmel and um, you didn't play. Uh, you played as a, uh, on a sophomore team. So what uh, what would you tell a uh, young person like my son? He's younger, dealing with the same situation. What would you tell someone at that age about not being able to play when you feel you should be on varsity, but you have to play freshman and sophomore? And second question I would like to ask is, uh, how did you feel, even though I'm a diehard Cub fan, so I know how I felt, so how did you feel when the Cubs or the Sox did not draft you?
2: Uh, so for the first question, um, I would look at, you know, whatever, whatever happens, happens for a reason. Um, it's always good. It's always easy, you know, to say, like, why am I not doing this? Why are they not doing this for me? You know, well, is me. But the biggest thing I learned is to just be where your feet are and, you know, just take every every day and strive and, you know, try to have like little goals that you accomplish every single day mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, striving for the ultimate goal. Because the only way you can achieve the ultimate goal is to you know knock off those steps like day by day. So if you know, you say if your goal is, you know, you know, get your right hand better if you're a lefty or your left hand better if you're righty in basketball, work on those things and by the time you know sophomore year rolls around, the coach is gonna notice that difference. You might not think he's not paying attention because you think he's worried about your jump shot, but you know, if you work on your fundamentals, it's always gonna make you an all-around better player. And then, you know. The biggest thing is just, like I said, the mental game and just taking everything day by day and just not not worrying about the overall big picture when that's years down the road. And then um, you said when I didn't get drafted. Um, honestly, it's whatever. I mean, <laughs> whoever's going to give me a, you know, who's going to sign my checks, that's who I would love to play for. So at the end of the day, it would be awesome, you know, if I could come back home and play for the Cubs or uh, for the White Sox. But at the end of the day, you know, with the MLB team at some point, I'm going to play in Chicago, and that will be my homecoming. But that was
1: Thank a good you. answer. I was scared for a minute there. I'm to burn this, this recording, but that was a good answer. And now I can show this to the Cubs. <laughs> All right. I was scared for a minute there, but good answer. Good answer. Uh, I got some private questions here that were sent to me. Uh, let me see. First question privately here is What are your thoughts on uh, former players like Andrew Dawson and Jackie Robinson and Hank Aaron? What are your thoughts on uh, former black players?
2: Um, I think, you know, former black players, you know, I think they were pioneers. You know, a lot of the people that we look back at were, you know, record setters. Jackie Robinson, you know, Larry Delby, the first two players to play in the AL and NL. Um, Hank Aaron, you know, he breaks the uh, the home run record. Bob Gibson sets the ERA record. Like all those guys, I, I look back at. Um, you can't you can't say anything about them without naming some legendary thing that they did, and I feel that that's a reason why you know black participation needs to increase in baseball because we can do incredible things. We just need to have the resources uh, available to us because baseball is an expensive game, and um, you know with all these, uh, and, you know, AAU teams and other sports and stuff, there's no reason they can't be the same for baseball because, you know, black people are athletes. And, you know, we pick up some that we like, you know, we're going to excel at it. So, I mean, if you give us the opportunity, I feel like we can be great at any sport.
1: Al, unmute yourself and go ahead.
4: Hey, Josh, what's up, buddy? How you doing, man?
2: Good, how you doing?
4: Man, it's great to be on this car. I got a cold, chill, you know getting to know you and see you and spend four days with you here in Salisbury, Maryland, Mm -hmm. is was an honor. But um, who who is your favorite uh, major league player today that you look up to? I would say,
2: I don't know. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to say that because now I just feel like I'm kind of within grasping. It's like I'm kind of grasping the MLB. I'm not too far away. So, I mean, (coughs) I don't really want to say anybody else is my favorite player because I'm going to be playing against them. And, you know, I could say I looked up to them as a little kid, but at the end of the day, I would say that, you know, my favorite player is going to be myself if I'm going to be playing against these guys. But I would say as a little kid, you know, my favorite player was definitely either Barry Bonds or Ken Griffey. Um, Those are the guys that I saw a lot, and those are the guys that were always on TV and being featured, especially, you know, back in the day when Bonds was chasing the home run record, um, single season and all time. And just with Griffey, you know, everybody loved Griffey. So those are just the two guys that I love watching play.
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, it was a pleasure meeting you and uh, continue prayers and thank you. work out the best for yourself. Love you, man.
1: Thank you. Uh, I definitely want to uh, thank you very much for agreeing uh, to participate in our um, series. Uh, it works perfectly. Uh, Bill Matlock. Andre Dawson, Josh Storrs. Do you have any last final uh, comments for anybody uh, during Black History Month? Uh,
2: I just want to say, you know, thank you for having me on. And uh, thank you for everybody that tuned in. Uh, I'm glad you guys, you know, wanted to see what I had to say in regards to everything with Black History Month and, you know, the interest in my career. Uh, You know, I hope I gain some fans today. And maybe I'll be back in Chicago, you know, if the Cubs want me. And, um, just like I said, thank you again.
0: Hey everybody, Joe Flaherty here with the Mistaken Identity Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We want to thank you for your continued support. We also want to extend a heartfelt thank you to those of you who have written reviews, dropped some likes, and shared our shows as that has allowed us to grow beyond any of our expectations. As a matter of fact, we're excited to announce a new way for our loyal listeners to enhance their experience even more with our new membership feature. All you have to do is jump in the show notes and follow the link to our Patreon page, where you can find access to a whole bunch of extra goodies for as little as $3 a month. You'll be given access to exclusive content, merchandise, behind-the-scenes video, early access to episodes, the ability to make special requests for guests, and much, much more. Now, if that sounds like something that interests you, head on over to Patreon and search Mistaken Identity Podcasts, or simply follow the link in our show notes to join the likes of Nancy Sullivan, Alice Daniels, and Kathy Chester at the rookie level, all the way on up to the Hall of Fame level with longtime listeners Kathy Weedley and Kathy Grossman. As always, we can't leave without our disclaimer. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely our own, and we do not speak for or on behalf of the Chicago Cubs or any other organization. Stay safe, and we'll catch you next time.